0: Good morning once again. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians chapter 5? We are working our way through the book of Ephesians here at Calvary on Sunday morning. And we find ourselves in a section from verses 22 to 33 of chapter 5, a section that we are calling God's design for a spirit-filled marriage. And we've called it that because the whole passage is built upon verse 18 where Paul commanded us to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's the, the foundation, that's the, um, the power for everything in the Christian life. It comes from the Holy Spirit who desires to control us and then to work through us to make us all that God wants us to be and to do for the Lord all that He desires us to do. I realize in this section... Paul is dealing with the, uh, the roles of men and women in marriage. This is a, not a popular subject in our culture today, because in our culture, like so many other cultures around the world, to talk about God having a, a role for men and women to play, well, that just drives uh, you know, secular people up a wall. Because how dare you tell me that I have to fit into a role Well, God is saying, you know what, in marriage I designed it, I created it, I get to tell you what your role is, and that's all there is to it. So if you want marriage to work the way I've designed it to, husbands, you have a role, wives, you have a role. You don't have to obey this, God is saying. It's totally up to you. But when you don't obey it, and your marriage doesn't work the way I've designed it to, or it doesn't work at all, then don't blame me. Because, you know... I'm just telling you how it's going to function properly. But the world is very upset. It's totally at odds with the culture when you start talking about the role of men and women in marriage. And you know what? That shouldn't surprise us because the culture is often at odds with what God has said. In fact, if the culture is cheering something on and waving their hands for some belief or some stand on some issue, know this turn around 180 degrees and do do the opposite. I mean, when it comes to the world, the world is going to always go in a direction contrary to God on most major issues I'm saying. And, uh, you know, this shouldn't surprise us because Paul said, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the eyes of God. It's foolishness. God's going to bring it down someday. Someday God's going to take all this so-called wisdom of man, destroy it, and he's going to let those of us who are believers live in a new uh, order, a new world order, The kingdom age where the word of God is going to live and abide forever. Only the word of God is going to survive, you know, the test of time. Uh, Anything else that has the appearance of wisdom but is not of God, it's going to fade away. Just like Peter says, "The, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God shall abide forever. So we would be wise to build our lives on that which is going to be eternal instead of that which is temporal. Now, Over the last couple weeks, as we've gotten into this section, we've been looking really at God's command to the wives in verses 22 through 24. And now starting today, guys, it's your turn. As we begin to look at God's command to husbands. And let's just read verses 25 to 33. Where Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, Now, just to kind of get a little bit of a running start at this whole section where God is commanding husbands in what their role is in marriage, if we were to take all the New Testament passages that really speak to the responsibilities of men in marriage, there's three. There is the passage here in Ephesians 5, there is the parallel passage in Colossians 3, and then there is the passage in 1 Peter chapter 3. And if we were to take all of these passages and put them together, look at them carefully, we would see that three main responsibilities emerge. Three things that a husband must be to his wife. This is just a way of introduction, by the way. First of all, he must be a leader. In Ephesians 5.23, Paul said, For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. We've already seen how that God has ordained that in marriage, A husband is to be the leader. In fact, he is to be the leader of his entire family, his home, all right? A man has been ordained by God to be the leader in his home. The real problem with all too many Christian marriages is not the unwillingness of the wife to submit. It's the unwillingness of the husband to fulfill his God-given role to lead. I have noticed over the years that there's a lot of Christian wives who will would love to submit to a man who wants to take the lead as a spiritual leader in the home. There's a lot of Christian wives who do not want to be the leaders of their family, but they feel that their husbands have delegated that responsibility to them, and they're not very comfortable with it because they know what the Scriptures say. And so it's really important that we as husbands understand that we have been called by God to be leaders in our home. But know this, it's not the kind of leadership the world lifts up. The world's idea of leadership is vastly different from God's idea. In fact, in the world, you have psychologists who brand uh, certain people SNLs. That's an acronym for Strong Natural Leader. And these people are aggressive, they are confident, they are self-assertive. In the eyes of the world, that's what leadership is all about. In the eyes of God, it's exactly opposite. Three things emerge when you talk about God's idea of leadership in the church and in the home. First of all, a man is to be humble. Humble. He's not to be arrogant, proud. He's not to be the kind of person that you know, is always just ordering everybody around, looking down on everybody. He's the king. I'm in charge. He's to be humble. He's to be humble. Peter said, to us leaders, but it, in the church, but it would apply to husbands too as leaders in their own home. He said, "Don't lord it over the flock of God, but go out there and be an example. Get out there and and be humble in the way that you lead your churches or your families." So humility. Secondly, when God thinks of leadership, He thinks of servanthood. You remember how that in Matthew twenty. The disciples, you know, were were trying to fight for positions of authority in the kingdom. I want to sit in your right hand. Well, I want to sit on your right hand. Well, I'm going to sit in your left hand. And so Jesus uses the opportunity to teach about greatness in the kingdom of God. He said, look, he said pagans or Gentiles, unbelievers, their idea of, of greatness is how many people they can have authority over, how many they lord it over. But Jesus said, in the eyes of God, true leadership and greatness manifests itself in how much of a servant you are to those that you're leading. Jesus said, even as I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So true leadership is first of all humble. Secondly, it manifests itself in being a servant. Thirdly, it always involves the character of Christ. If you study this subject in the New Testament, you will see oftentimes God will speak of leadership in in terms of character issues. In fact, uh, the Bible says if you are not a person of character, you have no business being in leadership. Paul said, follow me, I'm an apostle, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, anyone who doesn't lead by being an example of Christ doesn't deserve to be a leader. Character is very important. So a man in his home with regard to his wife, first of all, has to be a leader. He's got to be a godly man, a humble man, who's a servant and is manifesting the character of Christ. He's first of all to be a leader. Secondly, he's to be a learner, a learner. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. What Peter is telling us is that we are to be students of our wives. We are to understand them we are to to learn of them and 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 what really makes them tick you know so that we can better serve them physically and spiritually and emotionally i don't know about you but i happen to like the difference between men and women all right in our culture today there is no difference it's a completely egalitarian concept everyone is exactly equal well in some things we should be equal we all should have the same rights as citizens of the united states and so on but in the eyes of God, God has made us different. We're not physically the same. We're not wired emotionally the same. And I happen to like that, by the way. I mean, our culture wants to turn women into men and men into women. It wants to homogenize and androgynize everybody into one blandless vanilla. And, and you know what? It's, it's just, you know, it's sad. I mean, today you got the guys getting in touch with their female side, whatever that means. And got the girls, you know, like these wild Amazon creatures who are look like guys and dress like guys and act like guys and are as crude as guys. I don't know about you, but that that's that's gross to me. We are to be those who are studying our wives. They are different than us, they're wired differently, they're a different emotional makeup. Peter's saying, look, your wife guys should be your primary ministry. Study her, learn about her so you can better serve her. So we're to be leaders. Learners, thirdly, lovers. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives. Guys, it's a command in the Greek. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. And I want you to notice something. There is no such direct command in the New Testament to wives to love their husbands. you realize that? Nowhere in the New Testament are wives ever commanded to love their husbands. Now, of course, they do. But why did the Holy Spirit purposely Command the husbands to love their wives, but not the wives to love their husbands. The only thing I can think of is that in here in this section, in Ephesians 5, Paul is likening husbands to Christ, right? And what did John say about Jesus' love for us? We love him because he first, what? Loved us. Guys, let me say this to you. Your wife will reflect how you treat them. If you are really loving a woman the way God wants you to, if you're cherishing her, appreciating her, if you're building her up, if you really are taking the time to really pour love into her, guess what? She's going to love you. She's going to love you. She's going to reflect that back to you. You know, the idea that, well, some guys are, well, my wife is just such a mean person. You know, she's just, you know, miserable to be around. Well, look in the mirror, pal. How are you doing? I mean, have you ever thought about how it is to live with you? I mean, you know, we are to be like Christ to our our brides. And as we are like Christ to our brides, then you know what? They will love us back. They will love us back. Now, let me just say this. Paul the Apostle has taken a lot of heat over the years from feminists and various women's groups for his remarks here in Ephesians and other places, you know, they take issue with his statements of, about men being the head of their wives and how women are submit to the authority of their husbands. And, and you feel, you know, maybe you've heard uh, certain women's groups and, uh, and all really taking Paul to task over this, calling him a male chauvinist pig and saying that his writings are demeaning to women and so on and so forth. Let me just say this, nothing could be farther from the truth Paul the Apostle has done more for women's rights and more to elevate respect for women than any woman's movement has ever done. You see, if you understood the first century Greco-Roman world and how men viewed their wives and their marital responsibilities, well, you'd realize that what Paul had to say to husbands about they, how they were to treat their wives was about as radical and revolutionary a statement as you could ever find. Let me, let me show you how this works. Let me show you what I mean. Let's start off with the Jews. The Jews back then had developed a very low view of women. In fact, to them, women were looked upon as being just about a half a rung above a slave. Every Jewish man, the moment he got up uh, in the morning, he would always pray this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm, I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. That's how they viewed women. Of course, the culture was no better, reflected this whole attitude towards women. I've told you before, I'll say it again, in the Jewish culture back then, if a woman was pregnant and she went into labor, as the midwife went into the house to attend to her, word went out to the community, she's in labor, she's in labor, right? The whole town would gather with instruments and food. If the word came back, it's a boy. They would strike up the band, have a big barbecue. It was was a great thing. If the word came, it's a girl, they would all pack up and go home. They didn't value girls back then very highly. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses had said that a man could divorce his wife if he found any uncleanness in her. Now, to show you how seriously they took marriage, a few rabbis interpreted uncleanness to mean that on their wedding night, if he found out that she wasn't a virgin, he could divorce her. And that was the only grounds for divorcing her in the eyes of God. But by far the most popular interpretation of uncleanness was propagated by the liberal rabbis who taught that this could mean almost anything that displeased her husband. For example, if she let her hair down in public or was seen talking to another man, he could divorce her for that. If she burned the bread, put too much salt in the food, or disrespected his mother, her mother-in-law, or uh, was infertile, those were also legal grounds to divorce her. It even got so bad that after a while, some of the rabbis actually began to teach that if he found another woman who was prettier, then his wife would be unclean in his eyes, he could divorce her and marry the pretty one. And so by the time Paul wrote this to the jew uh, excuse me, by the time Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5, the Jews were divorcing their wives for any petty reason, making a mockery out of marriage, and leaving these women with no resources... And no recourse, basically, to challenge this abuse and injustice. Well, the Greeks were even worse to their wives. Do you realize in the Greek culture back then there wasn't even a legal procedure for divorce because women were considered slaves. They were considered basically living maids and nannies. The Greek men looked at wives back then as those who first of all cleaned the house, cooked the meals, and bore their legitimate children. We know this because Demosthenes and others, Demosthenes was an Athenian orator and statesman that lived back at that time. He pretty much summed up the mentality of the male Greek culture by saying, and I'm quoting him now, we have courtesans or prostitutes for the sake of sexual pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and for being faithful guardians over our household affairs. End quote. Maybe some of you are too young to remember that famous cigarette ad that was on TV years ago. You've come a long way, baby. Well, you've come a long way, ladies. But it's not because of any feminist movement. It's because of Christianity and how that Paul and others elevated, Jesus Christ primarily elevated women to their rightful place of respect and an honor in all. Also because Greek men found their sexual pleasure outside of marriage Back then, prostitution was rampant in the first century, along with homosexuality and pedophilia. But without a doubt, the prize for the lowest view of women in marriage went to the Romans. In Roman culture, divorce and remarriage were so common that Jerome, an ancient writer, tells of one Ro- a Roman woman who married her 23rd husband, and he was on his 21st wife. Marriage in the Roman world was nothing more than legalized wife swapping. It was so easy, you could get your divorce at 10 o'clock in the morning, rem- uh, marry somebody else at 11, have an affair afternoon, divorce that gal, and remarry your first wife in the evening. You wonder why they even went through the pretense of going through marriage at all. And so it was against this cultural backdrop that Paul dropped this bomb on the ancient world when he said husbands talking to christian men now you love your wives as christ loved the church when you understand the cultural backdrop do you see what a radical revolutionary concept that really was i mean i'm sure when paul said this of course it doesn't impact us the same way we've been uh, we've known this for for many years i mean for two thousand years we have had this command to husbands for over 230 years, this country, a country that was built on Christian principles and the Bible, we have understood this. So it doesn't impact us the same way it would have if they heard it for the first time in their cultural setting. I'm sure these guys almost dropped over backwards. You've got to be kidding me, Paul. You want me to love my wife like Christ loved the church? I can't go to prostitutes anymore? I can't, you know, shack up with my living girlfriend? i got to stay with my wife and be faithful to her and love and cherish her. That's right. I mean, this was was incredible. I mean, it elevated women in marriage to a level not seen before in the ancient world and set forth a new cultural standard of living, a standard of living, folks, that we as 21st century Christians must maintain. You have to understand something. Our culture, even though we are a Christian nation, we were a Christian nation, our nation has become as dark and as messed up as the ancient pagan world that Paul lived in. And yet those Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit, stood up and lived their lives and proclaimed the truth the way God wanted them to, even though the culture hated them for it, persecuted them, killed many of them. Yet they purposed to be lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, even as we must be today. These are not popular things. And they've even infiltrated into the church. We have worldly mindset dominating so many churches today. Everything is politically correct, culturally relevant. We have to, it's all about, you know, not making any way, being tolerant, you know, and and being like the world to reach the world. You're never gonna reach the world by being like the world. We have to be separate from the world. That's the dynamic of the church. That we are lights in the darkness, not that we blend in with the darkness. So this is not easy stuff to listen to, but it's absolutely essential. Now, as we come to Ephesians 5, and God's command to husbands, it's all built on the command in the first part of verse 25, where Paul simply says, Husbands, love your wives. And from that point, down through verse 25 through verse 31, Paul proceeds then to define how husbands are to love their wives. This whole section really is, is really built on that one little statement. Husbands, love your wives. And then through the rest of the passage, pretty much Paul says, and here's how. Here's how. First of all, willingly. Secondly, sacrificially. Thirdly, practically. Fourthly, unconditionally. And fifthly, permanently. We're only going to get the first two today, as you might have figured out. First of all, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives willingly. Well, he says in verse 25, just as Christ also loved the church. Was Jesus Christ, his love for us, a willing love? I mean, he wasn't forced to do anything, right? In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, Paul said this. He said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges, took the humble position of a servant, and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form on the earth. See, Paul's point is that Jesus Christ willingly gave up his glorious position in heaven. He became one of us. God became man. He took the form of a lowly human being. He came in the likeness of sinful man, yet he himself never sinned. When he became a man, he gave up not only his glory in heaven, but he gave up his omniscience, his omnipresence. He could only be in one place at one time. He didn't know all things while he walked on the earth, but only those things the Father had revealed to him. And later on, before he went to the cross, Jesus said in John chapter 10, no one takes my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, willingly. No one forced Jesus Christ to die for his bride, the church. He willingly did it out of his great love for us. Men, your wives shouldn't have to bribe you or beg you to show them love. They shouldn't have to constantly ask you, do you love me? Look, you know what? In your car, you have a gas gauge. That gas gauge is linked to your gas tank. And that gauge tells you how full or how empty that tank is. And of course, when it gets to a certain point, it gets really low, light comes on maybe. Maybe you got a car when it gets really, really low, things begin to buzz and, you know, voice maybe, idiot, get some gas We're almost out here, you know, that kind of thing. That gas gauge tells you how much gas is in that tank, even though you can't see the tank or what's really in it. The gauge indicates what's going on in there, right? Your wife has an emotional gas tank, you might say. And you know it's getting low when she has to say things like, Honey, do you love me? Do you love me? See, a man that is not filling his wife's emotional gas tank up is a man that is making her feel very insecure. Maybe making her feel like he doesn't really love her willingly. He loves her because he has no choice. He's married to her. How does that make you feel, ladies? Don't you feel special? When you feel like your husband is obligated to you? Instead of does it out of a joyful willingness? Guys, our wives should not have to beg us to tell them we love them. We should look for ways to show that. We should initiate ways to express our love for them even as jesus took the initiative and expressed his love for us yes by dying for us long before we ever responded to him right we love him because he first loved us how did he show us that love he went to the cross and guys your wives are going to reflect how you treat them you love them the way god is telling you to love them right here and they're going to blossom they're going to shine they're going to love you your marriage is going to be something beautiful. You know, over the years in ministry, I've noticed that there's a lot of guys that will that love to use Ephesians 5.22 as a club to beat their wives with. Wives, submit. See? That's what the Bible says. Submit. It's always submit, submit. When I see a guy that's always walking around barking at his wife "You're to submit, I realize that we, we're looking at a man who's very immature and selfish. Because any husband, Christian husband, who knows anything about what Paul said here in Romans? Me, Ephesians 5. Romans is good too. But Ephesians 5 understands that the husbands have the greater responsibility to love their wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, she's to submit. We're to die is the idea behind this kind of love. It has been well said that no wife would mind being submissive to a husband who loves her as much as Christ loves the church someone wrote of a man who feared he was displeasing god by loving his wife too much he expressed this to another christian who said to him well do you love her more than christ loves the church he said well no he said well until you love her more than christ loves the church you don't love her too much and what did the bible say about jesus he loves us to the uttermost all the way I don't think you can love your wives too much. Can Jesus love us too much? I don't think so. He is love. And I think the more you love your wives, the more she is going to reflect that. She's going to blossom. And she is going to become, not because of your nagging or haranguing or beating her with Ephesians 5.22, she's going to become such a beautiful reflection of Jesus. When you act like Jesus then she reflects Jesus. If she's not reflecting Jesus, if she's reflecting something that's not real pleasant, look at yourself in the mirror because she's reflecting someone. If you are really treating her like Christ, she's reflecting that. And it's going to be beautiful. So we're to first of all, love them willingly. Secondly, we are to love them sacrificially. In verse 25, again, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ. Also loved the church. Look, and gave himself for her the word here is agape and agape is a word that's used of god's love by the way the word agape has nothing to do with feelings per se although that when agape love is present feelings will come but agape love is a word that means love that a commitment it's not a feeling it's a commitment a sacrificial commitment Same word used in John 3.16, which everyone knows here, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, Jesus, would not have to perish in hell, but would have everlasting life. See, God's love is not about feelings. God, thank God, He didn't just sit up in heaven and have a lot of feelings for us. Feelings of sorrow. Oh, man, look. Wow, I really feel bad at what's happened down there. You know, they disobeyed me and now they've fallen, and they're destined for hell, and boy, really bothers me, and I really feel bad for it, but what are you going to do? You know, it's, you know. No, he looked down and saw the predicament we had put ourselves in, and he loved us so much he acted. He acted. He did something to help us. You know, the world thinks of love in terms of feelings, right? And that's why the world, is, the world doesn't have a clue. The world lets Hollywood define love. Hollywood defines love as a feeling, the feeling that you make me feel because I like being with you. If the day ever comes when you stop making me feel good about myself, I'll just find somebody else who does. That's the world's love. Very self-centered. God's love is completely others-centered. It's completely unselfish. And God's love is all about not loving with a feeling, but really loving with actions. The world would probably say something like, "Look, when they hear Paul say, you know, husbands love your wives, the world would say, you know what, you can't command a feeling. And that's true, but nobody's, God's not asking us. He's not commanding us to feel anything. He's commanding us to action. Just like he moved out of his love to action. He saw our predicament. He knew that there was no way we could ever go to heaven unless our sins were atoned for. Jesus came down out of his great love. I don't think he felt like dying for us. He loved us so much he was willing to do it, though. But feelings were not an issue here. God saw that we had a need, and his love caused him to act upon that need, and it was a sacrificial action. And you know what? That's exactly the kind of love that God wants his husbands to show for our wives, to love them sacrificially. And you know what? When you love them sacrificially, even when you don't feel like it, feelings will often come. They will often come. There are some husbands, I'm sure nobody in this room, but there are some husbands out there somewhere um, who will not lift a finger to help their wives in the home or with the kids. You know, um, when they come home from work, they're done for the night. All they want to do is sit in their favorite chair and watch TV or read the paper you know, as they're reading the paper, she could be going crazy in the kitchen with nine different pans, uh, cooking like crazy, you know, and all of a sudden the baby's crying. He's sitting there reading the paper, baby's crying. He's reading, honey, the baby's crying. See, a lot of guys, it's like, you know what? I've done my thing. This this home here, this is your thing. See, I always can tell a bad marriage when it's a business arrangement. See, where I have my 50%, I do you've got your 50%, and you can always tell a bad marriage because you hear things like, that's not my job. That's not my job. That's your job. We have jobs now? What about serving each other sacrificially? See? I mean, there's a lot of times, guys, you come home, you're tired, you've had a rough day, a long day. you know, But your wife, she's raring to go. Uh, if, if she's home all day with the kids, I mean, she's been living in kiddie land all day. Communication has been pretty much limited to, Mom, I want a cookie. Mom, a cookie? Mom, can I have a cookie? Mom, please can I have a cookie? I mean, you know, after a while, I mean, she's had it with the cookie talk, you know? You come home, you're tired. You're out there conquering the world. You're out there, you know, organizing people. You're, you're out there doing your thing. You know, you come home, you're done. But she's raring to go now. And she wants to talk about her day. Or she wants you to take her shopping because she wants to be with you. Now, let me just say this in all honesty. There are times after I've had a long and busy day of ministry, I would rather be dragged through a field of broken glass in my skivvies (laughs) than to go shopping with my wife. But I love my wife. I don't love shopping that much. I love my wife. And if that's what she wants to do, then as a husband, God says, love her sacrificially. Put my feelings aside. Okay, let's go shopping. (laughs) It has nothing to do with feelings. It's about you being like Christ to your bride. But I'll tell you this, guys. Men, you will never, ever begin to love your wife sacrificially until you first learn to die to self. That's just all it is. It's not rocket science. It all comes down to, am I going to do what I want, or am I going to die to self and do what pleases her? You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13 that God's love seeks not its own. And as long as you're looking at marriage, and a lot of guys do this, as long as you're looking at marriage for what you can get out of it, you're never going to begin to understand what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Look, we're just about done. Let me just say this. The whole purpose of sacrificial love is twofold. It's twofold. Sanctification and presentation. Sanctification and presentation. Both of them come out of the next two verses. We'll end with these. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, Paul said. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Of course, you know the word sanctify means to be set apart. We were set apart by the Lord when we got saved. That's when he took us from the world and set us over here in his church. We are now the body of Christ. We have been separated from the world. The the Greek word hagios is also the word we get a word holy from. Again, holiness means separation from the world. It doesn't mean guys wear their hair a certain length, girls wear their skirts a certain length, nobody smiles, nobody goes to the movies, nobody does this or that. Some of those things are good not to do. I'm just saying it's not really uh, a word that deals with Do's and don'ts, it's really a word that talks about position. Either I'm positioning myself in the world to draw from the world and be like the world, or I'm positioning myself myself in Christ, where I'm wanting to be led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and so on. So, the word "sanctify" means to be set apart, and you know that 's what Christ has done for us as his church as his bride, but you know in marriage, God is what we 're doing when we choose a bride guys we 're separating her from the whole world, right the world of women all right well, not that some of you guys had the whole world at your disposal to choose from, but you know you had a few you see you're separating this girl to be your own special treasure of a woman that 's what marriage is basically you are choosing somebody from out there to be sanctified to you i mean, set apart to you it's a very holy precious thing right and in that process you know jesus in john 15 verse 3 you are now clean by the word which i have spoken to you right the word of god cleanses us paul said here that he might, in verse 26, sanctify and cleanse her, his church, with the washing of water by the word. Jesus said, you are already clean by the word which I have spoken to you. In John 17, Jesus said in his high priestly prayer, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We, as husbands, are to be men of the word. We are to be those spiritual leaders that use the word of God not as a club to beat our wives with, but is something to build them up with, encourage them with, sanctify them through. Warren Worsby said, and I quote, The husband is not to use his wife for his own pleasure, but rather is to show the kind of love that is mutually rewarding and sanctifying. The marriage experience is one of constant growth when Christ is the Lord of the home. Love always enlarges and enriches while selfishness does just the opposite, end quote. A lot of women are being diminished. They're being, uh, they're shriveling because their husbands are not really loving them. They're just using them and they're using them up is the idea. And so whenever you are really loving and cherishing your wife, you are building her up and she is growing, blossoming. If you withhold from her the love and the the affirmation and so on, then she's shriveling. Now, this is important because as Paul goes on to say, someday as we are going to be presented to Christ as His bride, you guys are going to have to present your wives to the Lord someday to Him. Your bride You're going to have to present to Him someday. Paul says in verse 27 that He, Jesus, might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, no defilement at all, but that she should be holy and without blemish. And the idea here, guys, is that someday we are going to have to stand before the Lord. In other words, we are going to be raptured someday. We're going to stand before the Lord, and we're going to be presented by the Holy Spirit to Him. But if we're not all that He wants us to be, it's not the Holy Spirit's fault. It's our fault for not submitting to the work of the Spirit in our lives. That's why it's very important that we allow the Spirit of God to control us so that He can conform us into the image of Christ. But do you realize that someday, as husbands, we're going to have to present our wives to the Lord too? See, it's our job to build them up. It's our job to do whatever we can so that they blossom. My goal as a husband is not to abuse my wife certainly, but it's not to just use her up or her whole thing is me. Her whole ministry is me, you know? Taking care of me and my needs and cooking my meals and cleaning my house and watching my kids and that just just using her up. A lot of women are just being used up by their husbands, spent. They're getting nothing back. Their, their, their emotional gas tanks are completely empty. They're shriveled. They're, they're not able to fulfill anything. What I want for my wife is I want her to be all that Jesus wants her to be. I want her to blossom as a Christian. I want her, yes, certainly as a woman, there are times in, in your life where kids are small. That's your ministry. Kids get bigger and they leave home. Now your ministry is open to other things that God may do. If I'm a husband and selfish and I don't want you, my wife, to go out and minister because it takes time away from me, I'm not letting her really blossom and be all that Jesus wants her to be. He's gifted my wife with many wonderful gifts. And you know what? I could either stand in the way of her using those gifts or I could encourage her. So what, I've got, I've got to wash my own clothes and cook my own meals a few times a year while she's out on a retreat or she's ministering at a conference. Who cares? I want her to do what God's called her to do. So that on the day when I stand before the Lord, and he says, well, show me the wife that I gave to you. How did, how did you treat her? What's she looking like after all these years of living with you? Well, she's that emaciated, shriveled up little thing over here. Let me drag her over here once. Here she is, Lord. Or I can bring her forth, this beautiful, radiant creature who has just blossomed for the Lord. And the Lord is going to look at me and says, you know what, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you a wife and you loved her, cherished her, encouraged her, you built into her, and look at how she's blossomed. Wives, you will stand before God for not submitting to your husbands, unless, of course, they tell you to do something God is forbidden, or they tell you not to do something God has told you to do, then you must obey man, God rather than man. But you know what? Husbands, you're going to stand before God in part for how kind of a leader you were to your family, and especially to your wife. You're going to have to present her someday to the Lord. How do you want to do that? you want to do it with joy, or do you want to do it with sorrow because you were so selfish you smothered this and strangled the life out of this poor girl? So may God help us to understand that the responsibilities of husbands towards our wives far outweighs Ephesians 5.22 and the wives' responsibility to submit to us. And in fact, if we're loving our wives the way God wants us to, they're going to have no trouble loving us and submitting to us and, and respecting us. It's really because they're reflecting to a large degree what I am to them, or as a husband, what I am to my wife. So may God help us. It's a lot to digest, men, and I better see you here next week. Don't I better not hear, man. He really worked me over. Last, I'm not going. I better, Mike, take names. I want to see. Make sure everyone here today comes back next week, all right? Father, Lord, it's not easy to hear some of these things because we are selfish by nature. And I know as a man I can be very selfish. I can be very into me. And look at my wife sometimes as her role is just simply to make me happy. Instead of my role, loving her like Christ loves the church. Father, as husbands, we ask for forgiveness, first of all, for not allowing our our wives to blossom and to become all that you desire them to be because of our constant nurturing. and We've withheld that from them. We've withheld encouragement and love. And forgive us, Lord, for making it so much about us. Teach us how to love our wives sacrificially, Lord. So that even when I don't feel like doing certain things, if she wants to do them, it's my joy to die to self and to do what she wants because you know what? She's precious to me. And I count it a joy when I can fill up her emotional gas tank, when I can encourage her to be the woman that you've designed her and called her to be, because, Lord. When I stand before you on that day and I present her back to you, I want you to be able to say to me, well done. Boy, that woman has blossomed under your care. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.